All right, let's jump into this. Um, we are in the book of Zephaniah 3 today. Let me just kind of explain. Two weeks ago, we started um, a series on just basically the, the study of God. We're doing a series on the attributes and characteristics of God. We're trying to answer the question of who is God? What is God like? You know, there's an element, we've talked about this, where God is knowable, but he's incomprehensible. Uh, we are the finite trying to understand the infinite. And so in some ways, we're, we're going to be very limited as we talk about this. But so often when God made himself known through the scriptures, he started off by revealing his character and nature. I'm good, long-suffering, compassionate. God would say, you want to know me? Let me tell you who I am through my attributes. And I'm very thankful uh, just for this time for us to slow down. We've had two weeks. The first week was there is a God. For essentially, just God exists and God is triune. Last week, we talked about how God is holy. And every week, we'll be looking at a different characteristic or attribute of God. And I find this just so helpful. Even the last just couple of weeks, I'm like, God, I pray that in this process, um, we can be just become a community that just worships you, that lifts you up, that we seize God for, for who he is. Like, yes, we'll be limited in that, but it is so beautiful for us, for us to just stop and slow down and study the attributes of God. Now, Tozer wrote a famous book that I've mentioned, I'll keep mentioning, called The Attributes of God, right? Very clever title. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Attributes of God, and, and here's why he said this is so important. He said this, our religion is little because our God is little. Our religion is weak because our God is weak. Our religion is ignoble because the God we serve is ignoble. We do not see God as he is. You see, we're trying to get back to the question of when I say God, what do you think of? How do you view him? What kind of God is he like? Like, how do we imagine him, his character, his nature? When we think about God, you know, being in heaven, listening to our prayers, what kind of, I guess, tone do we see? How do we see him? How do we view him? See, obviously, what we think about God is truly the most important thing about us. We got to understand who is, who is he? Who do we serve here? Who are we worshiping? Who are we praying to? Who are we giving? What are we doing here? Who is God? What is he like? This is just so important. Now, I want to stress this. Every week as we walk through an attribute, we cannot just take the attributes in a silo. There's not one attribute more important than another attribute. Like, we might emphasize one because I, I think in some ways we need to see him to this extent. So we really focus on the holiness of God last week. And every week we'll kind of focus in but it doesn't mean one is better than the other or one trumps another, that they work perfectly together. And it's very beautiful. And so we want to like, so I almost want to pair the attributes of God. So last week we did the holiness of God. Today we're going to talk about how simply God is joy. God is joy. Now just a fun little reminder. Okay, this is like school really quick. Uh, I just want to remind you of some things. When it comes to the attributes of God, there are kind of two ways to approach this or two ways people have always approached this. There are the communicable attributes of God and the non-communicable attributes of God. Big words, simple meaning. Communicable, think community. Community, meaning there's attributes of God that God shares with us. Now those attributes that God shares with us, they are broken. And for us, it's, you know, tainted by sin. But God is good. We also can be good to an extent. God is holy. He's called us to be holy as he is holy. So there's certain, they're called, also called the moral attributes of God primarily that God might share with us. Then there's the non-communicable attributes of God. Like these are for God and God alone. And we'll talk, we've talked about that uh, as well. We will talk about that, that God is transcendent, that God is sovereign, that God is just omni. And we'll, look, we'll break that down. But we'll walk through these different attributes that God shares with us. And these attributes are, are for him and him alone. Now, as we do this, today is just simply God is joy. And I wanted to pair this right after God is holy, because I think sometimes we talk about the holiness of God, we might assume that means that God is not joy, or even fun. Can we say the word fun? Yeah. Like, we can say that. I think sometimes we view the idea of God as, yes, God is holy, 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 the only attribute of God that's repeated three times. And we talked about how we've got to be careful in our, in our day, in our age, in our generation, to not kind of make light God. This mindset mentality, like, Jesus is my homeboy kind of approach, like, we've got to be, like, we've got to be really careful of that. But we also got to understand that God is joy. You know, when I was studying for this, I'm, there's about seven or eight books I'm using to try to help me kind of formulate my thoughts, put this together. It's just like some old school theologians from back in the day. It's beautiful stuff, kind of like an old English, kind of also hard. Um, but there's not one chapter title. I couldn't find one in the books, at least I have, on simply God is joy. Now, there's some elements that might focus on the humor of Christ. They might focus on laughter. They might kind of focus on certain elements. But I, I couldn't find one. Now, you can go online and you can Google God is joy and you'll find some stuff. But there's really not a lot in a complete, concise work of just kind of like a book, any book on the, the doctrines of God. You might not see this. But yet to me, this is like everywhere. And, and we got to focus on this. 
So this is hard because I'm like, I, I want to tell you, it's actually like 12 years ago when I was going through this for the first time. I was like 18, 19, 20, something. I was reading through Weersby's book and, or uh, Tozer's book on the attributes of God, and I'm going, where is God is joy? Like, I got to see this. And so in my mind, I actually found some like old notes from like 10 years ago, and it's pretty rough. But it's fun to like just kind of read through, like, yes, we got to talk about this attribute of God being joy. I, I, I think that as we walk through this series, it's like, God, restore to us our, our image of you. Like, how do we view you? Do we see God in heaven filled with joy? Do we see in our mind God, a God who smiles? Do we see God who's just completely content, obviously, and at peace with who he is and him alone? But do we see that God is just, that he is just joy? And so I want to like, I want to slow down on this because I almost feel like this has been a broken perspective of mine and many people I've talked to. I don't know if, I don't know if our generation sees God as a God of joy. And I think this is incredibly important. It will change, I think, again, how we serve, how we worship, how we give, how we love, how we act as the body of Christ, that we need to see God as a God of joy, and he's called us to be a people of joy, and that heaven is a place of joy. And so I just want to walk through this, because this is this everywhere. So it's almost like the doctrine of God's joy. Cool? Yeah? You guys ready? All right. Um, and we're going to read uh, Zephaniah 3, because listen, this is probably less of a text, like we worked through a text last week, we'll probably be just pulling together, almost what systematic theology does a lot of times is like, they try to pull verses together to kind of create a complete argument, and so we want to pull some verses together and say, hey, here's, the, here's how God is a God of joy, and we are to be a people of joy in light of that, being image bearers of God, and anyways, I want to walk through this and we'll pull for some different verses. Can we still do that? Yeah? All right, Zephaniah 3, if you found it, again, it's luckily it's after have a cooking before Haggai, so it's super easy to find. Zephaniah 3, uh, verse 17. Know that he's writing about judgment, the first couple chapters, and he's writing about how a new day is coming, that there's a new day coming. And he says this in Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. One more time. The Lord your God, he's in your midst. Do we believe this? That he's a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Before we pray, I want us to see that God is a God who rejoices over us. This is something I don't fully understand, I feel like. That God actually sings over us with loud, I love loud singing. Do we see a God who is glad? Do we see a God who sings over us? Just before we pray again, um, my image is when we, when we had little children, and still they do, you know, one's six, one's two, and one's on the way. But it's fun to sing over them. They kind of find it funny because my voice is terrible too. But it's fun to sing over them with joy. And I don't know if we see a God who sings over us. I want us to see a God who is glad, who rejoices over us. It's unbelievable. So we just kind of take a second, bow our head, close our eyes. Let's talk to this God, who is a God of joy. Invite him, ask him to lead and speak and move. Can we do that? Father, we just want to thank you for who you are. It is incredibly humbling to even talk about you and just focus on you, who you are, how you revealed yourself to us. God, how you said, this is who I am. Lord, we just um, pray that we walk into even this topic with just humility with a mindset, just we want to receive. Got any broken perspectives we have of you that you just want to redeem, redeem that, Lord. God, thank you that you rejoice over us with loud singing. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would just um, speak and move, and we just need you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. You know, many of you know this, but um, my wife and I, growing up in Southern California, uh, we went to the, our, one church our whole life. It's Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. It was the original Calvary. And, um, you know, looking back, when I became an adult, I was very appreciative of those years. I was able to, you know, meet with our pastor at the time for about a year and a half every week, go through the Bible, ask questions. Amazing. But when you're like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, it was rough. It was really rough. Like, it was great looking back. I'm like, wow, what a beautiful time. Pastor Chuck and, you know, hearing him. But going to our church, you know, Chuck was old and he talked very slow. That's probably why I talk very fast now. But he was old, talked very slow. He'd wear a suit and tie, like death grip the pulpit kind of a thing. And I'm like, nine, I'm like, this guy's scary, you know? We had a men's choir that was just very painful to listen to. 
Um, we read in Old King James, because the whole, like, again, suit and tie, you actually couldn't stand during worship unless the worship leader said stand. If you were standing, they'd be like, you need to sit down. It was just, it was different, all right? I don't, and again, I don't know what kind of experience you had growing up in the church. Maybe you had a similar experience, but when you're, again, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I'm like, this place is terrifying. I remember just going there like, I can't move, I can't talk, you know, and his voice was just so soothing. It would just put me to sleep. Like, of course. It's like, God loves you. And it's just, I don't know, it's just crazy. And just put me to sleep. Again, I'm like 10 years old, drawing pictures of him. It was weird. And it's funny, that obviously shaped and formed my view of God. I'm like, what is God like? To me, God, God was definitely holy, like we talked about last week. Maybe a little just terrifying. Maybe a little boring. It was almost like you couldn't smile. <laughs> it's kind of how I view God. I'm like, if you're a Christian, you can't smile. And it's weird, honestly, at a very young age, I think it's like, you know, especially being around Christians, and I think some of the Christians I got to know in my youth, as just a young kid in my mind, uh, they were the least happy, joyful people I knew. And I go to church, you say, man, they, they're very critical. If someone did something wrong or outside of that, whatever was acceptable at the time, is just judge, and you knew that, and you felt, you, your friends felt that, your family felt that. There was a little bit of a call. Maybe it's, again, perception in my age and not really seeing things for what they were. But regardless, I'd say that's a pretty common thought for a lot of our age. And uh, maybe, again, maybe it's a similar experience where you just kind of went to church and you're like, am I allowed to laugh? Am I allowed to smile? Am I allowed to hug? Like, am I allowed to do these things? You know, it wasn't until I was about, I want to say 15, 16 years old. Uh, There's another pastor that came on staff at our church. His name was John Corson. Now, in my mind, just these names might mean nothing to you, but these were like two legends in the faith to me, Chuck Smith and John Corson. But John came on staff, and I remember, like, I didn't believe he was real. He's this big, like, lumberjack guy. You know how to jolly, just laugh. It's like happy. I remember, like, going to Bible studies at 14, 15, and actually, like, learning things. I remember enjoying it. I remember, like, I like this. I'm like, I'm laughing. Am I allowed to laugh? Like, I remember having those thoughts. It was bizarre to me. And not just from like a pulpit standpoint, but playing basketball at that time and going to that school there. And his son uh, was on my team. And so we'd go to his house after games or before games, whatever, he'd hang out. And here's a pastor. And again, I've only known pastors and, and you know, spiritually serious people from like a, you know, stage kind of a thing. Didn't really know them firsthand. And John was the kind of guy that he'd be like, Josiah, he'd put his arm around me. He'd say, how was the game? How's Coach Bernie? How are you doing? And I'm like, he doesn't really, does he care? Like in my mind, I get like, and then he, he would call like Papa John's, order his pizza, and he'd like throw some sodas at us. And I just remember like, this guy, what is he doing? Like, he actually cares. Like, he actually is joyful. Like, he actually was, and I'm like, are you, I'm like, is your dad like that all the time? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how is that possible? That's not real, right? And it was one of those weird things to me. I'm like, wait, Christians can be filled with joy. And not just that, but it's weird how, again, our, our, those experiences shape us and shape our view of God. A lot of times, and sadly, maybe the people we've got to know as Christians, maybe we see them for a little bit of time, and that shapes our view. But for me, it's very important. I remember John would tell us, he'd be like, hey, he talks like the team, he talked to us. He's like, guys, love Jesus supremely and have fun through that lens. I remember he'd always tell us, go have fun. And we would do things, I don't, I don't know if they're sinful, it's kind of questionable, maybe the word. But like, we'd go have fun, we'd have fun, and we love Jesus. And it was the first time I was a part of a community, I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, you can love Jesus and have a personality? Like, I remember that, like, stood out to me from John. And I'm not trying to exaggerate this. Like, it was really important at a, a 14, 15, 16 uh, year, eight, years of my life. It's very important to kind of see that. Because, again, I had a perception maybe of God. Or, in my mind, people who took their faith serious, people who were all in, looked a certain way. And I didn't like the way that looked. And I didn't want to be a part of that or associated with that. But then when you meet somebody who goes, wait, you really love Jesus, and you're actually filled with this joy, and where does that come from? How do you get that? Why are you like that? And, it's just so, and it was just so life-changing. And all that to say is, I think we need to see God in this way, that God is a God of joy. When I ask you, like, who are the most joyful people you know? Honestly, what comes to your mind? Probably, sadly, not a lot of times it's Christians. Like, we should be identified and known as the most joyful people. And again, that's not being naive to the problems and naive to suffering, and we can talk and we'll talk about that. It's actually in spite of that. But I think there's something really profound when you go, wait, God is a God of joy. Like, God created all things that are good. Laughter is good. There's some good things. God, wait, God created fun. God, God created, like, laughter. Like, that's beautiful. That's, that's a reflection of God. Like, we need to see God in, in this light, I really do believe. And so as we just walk through this, and actually one quote, I love this, John Wesley, kind of like an old school guy that you wouldn't imagine to say this. He says, a sour religion is the devil's religion. Now you can tell he's like from a long time ago. But a sour religion is the devil's religion. He's like, no, no. If, if you're going to be a follower, there's, there's something different. And where is that? Where has that gone? And again, I want us to be a people of joy and light of God. So as we break down this, this topic today, here's how we're going to kind of break this down. Uh, simply the, the title is God is joy. That's the first point. God is joy. There's joy in God. 
In light of that, there's joy in us, and then there's joy in heaven. And I kind of just want to talk about this idea, because you just see this argument for like joy in, in scriptures. There's basically a case being made that God is a God of joy, and we should be a people of joy, and there's just joy in his midst, and there's joy in heaven, and we can't get around that. So first thing, number one, you guys ready? Yes. Yeah? All right. Number one, God is joy. Now, we read Zephaniah 3, but I, I do want to take us to a classic te- text. And again, God is joy. Like, joy is a person. God is joy. And it's a really unique verse or phrase, and I think it's probably been manipulated or abused or out of its context, so I'll try to share the verse and then give its context, but it's Nehemiah 8.10. You might know this, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. It says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you actually read this, like as is in the Hebrew, it'd be kind of worded this way. Your strength is of Yahweh, or yeah, is of Yahweh, the joy. Your strength is of Yahweh, the joy. Or literally how it puts the words together, it says Yahweh Kedvah, Yahweh Kedvah. He's saying the, the joy of the Lord, Yahweh Kedvah. He says your strength comes from joy God. Your strength comes from God who is joy, just God is joy. Like they pit these two words side by side. We need to see that God is a God of joy. Now, this was written in Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you remember the story of Nehemiah, we went for this book maybe three years ago. But Nehemiah, they restored Jerusalem, they were building the walls. They actually like rediscover the word of God again. The word of God is read publicly. I mean, people are hearing the word of God after many, many years and going, oh my gosh, we're so far off from God's will. And they're repenting and they're crying and they're broken. And there's like weeping. It's like, oh my gosh, God, we've gotten so far away from your word. And then Nehemiah goes, hey, hey. And this is what he says in Nehemiah 8.10. He goes, this is a holy day. Today is a holy day. He goes, and therefore the joy of the Lord is your strength. He he kind of associates holiness with joy, which I find interesting, because this is a holy day. We're going to rejoice. Like we've heard the word of God. And yes, it's good that we've repented. Now that we've repented, we can rejoice. Like, thank God we heard his word so we know where we went off and now let there there be joy. He's basically calling them and saying, don't forget God is a God of joy. He's Yahweh Kudva. He's the God of joy. He's joy God. It's God joy. I think it's so good because I think we view God as a killjoy. I think how people talk about God and describe God at times, it's like God is just there to steal your fun. Now, obviously, the way of Jesus and the way of God, there's a certain way to live. And I think as we live in light of that, that brings more joy. But we do got to understand that God is a God of joy. I think, again, this is so important as our, as in our perspective of how we find him. Now, here's what I find interesting. It's when they found the word, they're reminded that God is a God of joy. It reminds me of Jeremiah 15, 16, where Jeremiah said, Lord, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Like your words were found, I ate it up. When I heard your word, God, it was just food to my soul. And it was to me the joy, he says, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. You see, the word of God, I think, is what really leads us to this place of joy. Like you go, how can I get joy? Let's start here with the word of God. Like, once I found God's word, man, then there was joy. If you feel like there's a lack of joy, eat up and consume the word of God. That's what happened with Nehemiah. That's happened with Jeremiah. It's when they rediscover the word of God, they go, oh my gosh, there's joy in this. There's joy in this. Why? There's joy in God. God is the word. Jesus said, I am the logos. I'm the word. There's joy in Jesus. There's joy in the word. There's just joy in the word of God. There's just something about that. Dallas Willard famously said this about God. He says, we should first think that God leads a very interesting life and that he is full of joy. Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. Do we get that? The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul exhilarating joy God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. We get like a little taste of just the joy, the joy that God experiences. Here's the thing. I want to see that God is a God of joy. Actually, a really well-known passage, and authors kind of unpack this more, uh, but Paul basically uses this title for God in 1 Timothy 1.11. I'll just throw it up here really quick, this little phrase, where Paul says, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now, people actually pack this say, I don't know if blessed God is the best. They say, because the Greek word that he uses, I'm going to butcher it, but it's makarios, and he's basically because of the makarios theos, the, the, the happy God. 
like a better way for blessed is happy. That's the idea in the Psalms where it says, oh, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. The idea of like how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Whether that's in Hebrew or Greek, it's a very similar root word, which gets back to the idea of happiness. That blessed is being happy. That happiness is at that root. Now, I do think this is important. Because obviously, whenever you talk about joy, it's like you have to distinguish between joy and happiness. But I actually want to say something. I think there's a lot more similarities between joy and happiness than we realize. Uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Happiness. And he basically says, if you study the Greek or Hebrew, both words for, for joy and happiness have the same root word. Like they have the same idea. Meaning, here's his point. If you have a joy centered on Christ, it will lead to happiness. But not all happiness will lead to a joy centered on Christ. And so we got to understand, like, they are very similar. Let's not just pin them against each other right away. Again, if you have a joy that's centered on Jesus, it's going to be leading to happiness. But not all happiness leads to joy, which we get. But essentially, the idea is that joy should lead to happiness. Some sort of even feeling. Some sort of like inner gratitude. So in his book on happiness, he went out to say it this way. He says, only in recent times have happiness and joy been set in contrast to each other. I believe this is biblically and historically ungrounded and has significant downsides. I agree. I think we need to see that he is blessed God. He's happy God. He is Yahweh. He is the God of joy. He's joy God. He's God joy. I want us again to see, see God in this light. And I, like, obviously there is a difference. You know, we, we kind of look at happiness, the idea of like ha- it's based off happenstance. Happiness is based off happenstance. It's based off circumstances. You know, when joy is rooted and grounded, not in circumstance, but in a person. One is movable. One is immovable. It is different to some degree. Obviously, we've got to acknowledge that. But you think, you, I love the idea of getting back to the root of it. Like, if you have this joy center in Christ, it should lead to this expression that is so beautiful. Maybe you've heard this analogy of joy and happiness, and I think in some ways it's true. But you think of, like, the thermometer versus thermostat, right? A thermometer can tell you, and right now it's cold. I don't know if it's cold in here, but I don't think anyone here in Florida has heaters. I don't know. But it's cold, right? A thermometer says, hey, it's cold, right? It tells you the temperature. That's happiness. It just says, hey, happiness, I'll tell you how you're feeling. You're happy. You're sad. It's a thermometer. A thermostat, right, we set in our house, basically dictates the temperature. It dictates the mood. That's joy. See, happiness will just tell you what it is. Joy will say, no, 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 I'm going to set it. I'm going to set it at this place. And and that's the idea, but because it's rooted and grounded in something so much greater than circumstances. It's rooted and grounded in the God joy and the God who is joy. And that is such a beautiful thought to me. Listen to this. An old Puritan writer, a Puritan said this, so you got to say with it. He says, he has no design upon us but to make us happy. We should be cheerful if not the people of God. Like, here's a Puritan who says we should be happy and cheerful. All right, it's a pretty big deal. Um, I just love this thought. He goes, hey, don't you realize it's rooted and grounded in this? Like, again, joy on Christ should eventually lead to happiness. Now, it's not being naive to the pain or suffering. It's not diminishing that. It's not saying, hey, hey, just, you know, just fake it till you make it. Just kind of put on a positive vibe. It's not that. We're also very clearly able to acknowledge the pain and suffering, and we'll look at that more in the next point. But I'm very thankful that it's rooted and grounded in something so much deeper and richer. It's, it's grounded in something so much deeper. You know, think about this, because I can't move on from this topic. When I say God is joy, I want us to think about God, and God made known through the person of Jesus, and Jesus being a person of joy. Jesus talked about his joy. His joy, and we'll read about it, how he shares his joy with us. But I want you to see that Jesus is, is a person of joy. I want you to think about Jesus being with these 12 knuckleheads for three years. And I would just love, I'm like frustrated. We don't have more of like the stories of just like, oh my gosh, what was the thing that just made them like fall over from laughing, right? Like what was that thing that just did, like what was it? I'm sure it's incredibly fun with these 12 guys on a Mediterranean diet. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's a lot of fun. I don't know, I just picture it being a lot of fun with these guys. You know, even in Jesus' teachings, I mean, how can you not see some humor? We need to see humor in Jesus' teachings, whether the Sermon on the Mount, the plank in the eye, whether Matthew 23, speaking to the Pharisees, and the, the, the words he says towards them, you strain a gnat, you tithe your, I don't know, uh, elements, like you tithe your, what does he say, your cumin? You tie your, like imagine tithing your, or what is it, giving away your like um, oregano. He's like, that's what you do. All right, I just think Jesus uses, like he uses words and language, sometimes we just read it as is, but we don't realize he's, he uses a lot of humor in it. There's a guy, I think his name is Elton Trueblood. But he wrote a book called The Humor of Christ. I remember my dad gave it to me years ago because I was reading the scriptures and me not understanding the context. And here's what he says. He says, once we realize that Christ was not always engaged in pious talk, we have made an enormous step on the road to understanding. Christ laughed and he expected others to laugh. A misguided piety has made us fear that acceptance of his obvious wit and humor would somehow be mildly blasphemous or sacrilegious. Religion, we think, is serious business. And serious business is incompatible with banter. 
That's sometimes how we view it. We need to see this in, even in the life of Christ and his teachings. He would use humor and wit to make, oh, that's a good point. The reason, again, why I'm saying this, um, I, I saw this from George MacDonald. He says, it is the heart that is not yet sure of its God that is afraid to laugh in his presence. There's, there's something about just going, God, I can laugh in your presence. I don't know, it's just fun. Again, being a, a father to kids, it's fun to see certain things. Like, even I, I laugh, like, thinking about us getting, well, you know, waking up today. It's like freezing cold. Like, it's funny to me. Like, we're South Floridians. This is cold. Like, for the rest of the world, they're like, seriously? I just wonder, like, what, is, what, make God, what makes God smile or laugh? I posted this in my story. Maybe some of you saw it, but I went to Wawa with my son, and we saw a monkey at Wawa. We saw a monkey at Wawa. It made me so happy. It's a little baby cute monkey with a diaper on. And it's like, crawling, it's like, you know, I don't know, grabbing onto his owner, swinging around, coming at us, and like looking at my son's face to watch this monkey. First of all, God thought of a monkey. How is God not fun, right? He like invents, I'm going to create a monkey and a platypus. Like he's fun. Um, but I love it because I look at my son like through his eyes watching this monkey and it just brings me so much joy seeing him have joy. And I, I go, God, of course, of course you're a God of joy. Of course you smile. Of course you laugh. That's just your Yahweh Kadva, your God joy. That's just who you are. That's, that's just who you are. Listen, so first of all, it's God is joy. Number two is this. Not just God is joy, but there's joy in God. And I want to point out the difference. God is joy, but there's joy in God. There's joy in the Lord. That we find our joy from him. We take joy in him. Yes, God is joy, but we take it from him. There's a lot of different verses we could use to make this point, but I think one profound one is in the book before, but it's Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17. Maybe you've heard this uh, verse, but I love it. Here's what Habakkuk says. He says, though, listen, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce, or the produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock can be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. There's joy in him. He's like, even though there's no fruit, even though there's no harvest, even though the, the pen is empty, there's no animals in there, even though all these things are falling apart, yet I will rejoice. This is so beautiful. Even though I will. Even though I will. That's joy. Say, even though, even though I will. That is joy. Joy is even though this doesn't make sense. Even though the circumstances aren't the way I want them to be. Yet, I will rejoice. And he says this, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Joy is in God. If you want to know how do I get joy, where do I get joy? It's in God. Like in him, there is joy. This is the mindset I want us to have because I think we're on a hunt for joy, whether or not we know it. We're on a hunt for like not more, something more than pleasure, obviously, something more than amusement, something more than that next exciting thing, that next hit, that next dopamine hit we can get in our brain. We're on the hunt for something more, and that is found in God, even though I will. It's Paul's encouragement to the Philippians in Philippians 4, just a book that's filled with joy. It's kind of known primarily for joy, but Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Isn't it funny he has to command us? He has to command, hey, rejoice. We're prone not to rejoice. Hey, rejoice, this is good for you. But rejoice in what? In the Lord. It's crazy to be reminded that of our salvation. Like, well, what am I going to rejoice in? Uh, you're saved. You're saved from hell. Eternal damnation. What do you mean? What, do you, what is there to rejoice in? It's like, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in him. Not in money. Not in maybe a relationship status. Not in a new job. Rejoice in the Lord. Because everything else can be stripped away. Everything else can be taken away. Everything else will eventually fail us. You know, I think of it's funny when you see people meet up for like and talk and their friends are like, you know, clean, what should we, you know, hit our drinks to? And it's like, good health. And like, whatever. everything we say can be taken away. Like the point is good health, that can be gone. Money, it can be gone. New job, new opportunities, all, all that gone. There will come a point in time in our life where all those things will truly be gone. That's why we don't rejoice in those things. We rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. Everything else is changing, but not God. Everything else can be taken away, but not God. Everything else can be taken away from my life. One thing no one can take away, Jesus. It's amazing. That's why we rejoice in him. See, God is joy, but there's joy in God. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 6. He goes about his own life as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That within a believer, they can live this dichotomy of, yeah, this is difficult. 
yet I have a reason to rejoice. Rejoicing is just the expression of joy. I want to be really clear. Rejoicing is a verb. It's expressing the noun of joy. So joy is a noun. Rejoicing is just expressing that. My thing is, when we this idea of joy, this topic of joy, we, we have to associate it with re, rejoice because it's expressing our joy. We need to express that joy. Even when that joy, you go, I don't know if it's there, I don't know, I don't, but we express that joy. We express our joy in the one that cannot be taken away. We can acknowledge the pain and suffering. We can acknowledge that. I'm not trying to say put a fake smile on. I'm not trying to say just, you know, toughen up. It's not that. Just saying, even though, I will. Even though I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. In the God of my salvation. We rejoice in the Lord. You know, um, I've been reading through the Psalms because that's what you do in the new year a lot of times. And coming to Psalm 16 and, and just a beautiful psalm. How obviously the Lord would save Jesus from corruption. It speaks of redemption. It speaks of really resurrection. It's beautiful. And then David says in Psalm 1611, he says, God, in your presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. I want us to hear that. Do we believe that? In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At his right hand are, are pleasures forevermore. It's unbelievable. You're like, well, where do I get this joy? Again, in the Lord. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. It's from spending time with him and enjoying him that, that the joy of God is given over to us. It's just like, again, the more time you spend with someone, the more time you become like them. So in your presence, there's fullness of joy. What's going to happen? I'm be a person of joy. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, I think we need to see this perspective of God. I think that, again, for many of us, myself included, I can have such a broken perspective of God. Yes, we're going to talk about the justice of God. We're going to talk about the wrath of God. We're going to talk about the holiness of God. We've done, we've done, but we've got to also make sure we understand that it's not one trumps another. They work beautifully hand in hand, and God is a God of joy. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is the God you worship and serve. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? That's the huge question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's a God of joy? That that is him? Now, here's the thing. God is joy. There's joy in God. And then by happenstance, there should be joy in us. So the third point is there's joy in us. Like this is going to be a byproduct of spending time with God. Again, as you spend time with God, a God who's joy, there's going to be joy in us. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. Beautifully, he said this. Listen, he goes, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is about to be taken to be crucified. He's about to be betrayed. And in John 15, he goes, hey, these things I have spoken to you that you might have my joy, my joy be in you. Jesus has joy. And he goes, I want my joy in you. Even though I'm about to go through something that... This is going to shock all of you. Betrayed, denied, beaten, crucified. I have joy, and I want that joy in you. That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I find it fascinating that God cares about our joy. Not necessarily our happiness, but about our joy. And I know we made it, I know they're not different, but they're different, whatever. But let's just say with me. I love that God cares about our joy being full. God's like, I care about this. I want my joy to be in you. I mean, in a sense, you read John 16 and 17, some of the last words we have of Jesus before he's taken, and he's saying, hey, this is what I care about as I go. I want you to be people of joy. That, that's how, and I want you to, how do you do that? By abiding in me, by enjoying my word. Again, in John 15, he's basically saying, hey, listen, abide in me. Like, enjoy me. Spend time with me. Like, as you are abiding in me, I am the vine and you are the branches. As you abide, you're just going to bear fruit. And one of the fruits is what? Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. I don't know if there's a, a, you know, an exact order, but I love that's right there, number two. The sign, the fruit that the Holy Spirit is in you. How do you know the Spirit of God is in you? Love, yeah. We'll get to that. But joy. Joy. As you abide in me, as you abide in my word. Again, I can't get away from this other than saying we need to abide in his word. Like, this is where it begins. George Mueller, a, a man that was just really well known for his benevolent, good works, good deeds, in his lifetime, follower of Jesus, but in his lifetime he housed over 10,000 orphans. He created over 100, uh, over 100 schools for the poor. Here's what he said. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. My primary business, I got to wake up and find my soul happy in the Lord. 
I don't know how to put it, but that's like devotion time now. It can't just be I read this. I'm reading through this. It's like, did I find my soul happy in the Lord? He would go on to say, and this is a long quote, so bear with me, but it's just too good. because He's like speaking to the young believers, and it's a long time ago now, and so I think we should hear what he's going to say. But here's what he said. A few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which to keep a spiritual enjoyment. You want to know how to keep spiritual enjoyment? Listen, here's his advice. It is absolutely needful in order that happiness in the Lord may continue that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it and ponder it. Especially we should read regularly through the scriptures consecutively and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately, for the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress. Ever been there? I think we all have. Because I made no progress. Why? Because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I've been doing this for 47 years. I've read through the whole Bible about 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. Do you think there's any wisdom to this old follower of Jesus? Like, is there any wisdom there? For 47 years, go and listen. This is how, this is how you keep it. You want to know how to keep your joy? Just be regularly in the word. There's really no secret. People are like, hey, what makes you different? Like nothing, Jesus, I don't know, grace, word of God. Like my point, like people are like, what, what's in you? Like what makes you happy? What makes you like, it's like, I gotta be in the book. My heart's prone to wander. My heart's prone to sin. My heart's disgusting. But this what book, it brings me back to Jesus. It brings me back to why I'm here. It brings me back to walking this path, walking in the light. It just brings joy. Just be in the word. There's really no secret. Just be in the word. That is the, the, uh, the call from this older man to the younger followers of Jesus. He goes, just be in the word. Listen, Charles Spurgeon said this about Christians. He says, those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. Like, hear about this. There's joy in us. Like, the most joyful people should be followers of Jesus. You know, it's crazy how unjoyful people are just, you don't want to be around. Right? And I think sometimes people view the church as like, mm, I don't like the church. It's, it's weird. It's just weird. You're not happy. You're always judgy. There's nothing going on there. And it's like, they should see joy. That should be an element that people see. That absolutely should be an element that they see. Like, this is, so, this is so attractive when you see joy. It's so attractive when you say, hey, I know what's going on in your life, and yet you have some resilience there, and like, joy, what is that? Like, I don't know, Jesus. And it's so attractive. And it's so unattractive when you just see someone who's constantly cynical, constantly nitpicking, constantly finding fault, and you're like, I don't want to be around that. And again, as far as of Jesus, he goes, we should be identified by joy. Like, this should be the number one marker is joy. You know, throughout the book of Acts, they were filled with joy, like over and over again. Acts 2.46, it says it differently, but it says it this way. It says, in day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with what? With gladness and generous hearts. In Acts 13.52, it says, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There's a connection there. Do you hear that? The church was continuously filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. When you have the Spirit, you have joy. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. My thing is we need to see this. Like the church was known for this. Like people are like, oh my gosh, they're constantly filled with joy. What, and you look at the church and you go, what has happened? It's been a couple thousand years and you're going, where, where is that? Let us see that again. Lord, bring joy in us. Restore joy to our salvation again. We need that again. And this is what basically the, the, the point of this message today is just saying, yes, God has got to have joy and he's called us to be people of joy. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That we have something to rejoice in. See, there's joy in us. Paul would again say in 2 Corinthians 4, just amongst this context of joy, and I want, to, I want to make this point, so just bear with me in this verse. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, which we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, I think the thing that distinguishes us as a people of joy is when you look at the world right now, I understand why you'd say there's not joy. <laughs> Or happiness. When you look at like war, like what the heck is World War Three about to happen? Like what's going on right now? When you look at the world, you go, okay, the things that are seen, messed up. But the things that are unseen, that's where we find joy. Because we know God. We know who he is. We know what he's doing. We know how the story ends with Christ coming back, ruling and reigning, with establishing his kingdom. My point is, it's the things that are unseen that bring joy. We have to look at the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. We have to have eternity in our mind when it comes to this topic of joy. You want joy? Think about eternity. You want joy? Have this in your mind. So that leads me to my fourth point. Is number, this, number four is this. Uh, joy in heaven. Joy in heaven. So the, here's the idea. 
God's got to have joy. We find our joy in him. There should, we should be a people of joy. But there is joy in heaven. Like, do we get that? Because I struggle with that probably too, like you. There's joy in heaven. I love how C.S. Lewis wrote about heaven. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Right? Joy is the serious business of heaven. Because when I talk about heaven, I, I know, like, say with me, last week we read Isaiah 6. And we read Revelation 4. And how these seraphim and these four living creatures are crying out nonstop, day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, as a kid, that gave me anxiety. I don't, maybe, maybe it does still for you, but I was like, oh my gosh, do we just sing forever? It's like, that sounds really difficult. Um, I had that view. And so I think many people I talk to, it's like, what is heaven? Do you just sing? Like, that sounds awful. Now, I think we need to have a, a, a first of all, we need to see how beautiful that is. I, I can't imagine when we just see God. Like, what, what, I just think that we can't help but worship. Fall on our face, melt, sing. I don't know. But I do think about heaven, you go, wow. Like heaven, God creating the garden. I think in a sense, heaven is this pursuit of getting back to intimacy with God, getting back to the garden. And God created what? The earth originally for all things, for, for us just to enjoy you think about just heaven, this idea. I mean, again, uh, Randy Elkhorn wrote a book called Heaven. I want to just encourage you to read it if you get a chance. Because to me, it's just so beautiful. You go, man, what is heaven like? Well, what, he asked the question, well, what is God like? If you want to know what heaven is like, we've got to understand God. God is God of joy. God created joy. God created laughter. God created good things for us to enjoy. Like, we've got to think about heaven as, I love this, joy is the serious business of heaven. What does Paul say in Romans 14, 17? He says, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You want what the kingdom of heaven is like? He goes, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's so much more than the physical, but yet we do eat and drink in heaven, which is so cool. By the way, I love that. I love how we'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and like eat and like tell us about your time with God. I don't know. That's so cool to me. Like sit down, like I read about you for many years. Why'd you do that? Like why'd you sell your wife to Pharaoh? You're weird. Like I don't know. It's gonna be so cool to like sit down and have that. Things be awesome. We get to eat a meal with them. I love that heaven has a lot of eating. Jesus has seen eating a lot. He was always invited to parties. Like what do you think that means? I love that about Jesus. He's like always seen eating. I love when you read heaven, this tree that produces new fruit. I mean, it's just so beautiful. It's like, wow, there's food. Thank you. But I love that it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Just heaven's a place of joy. Its idea is like, and you don't have to wait till you get there. The kingdom, of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. That you and I can have this joy here and now in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's joy in heaven. You better believe there's joy in heaven. It's Luke chapter 10, but Jesus sent out the 70, sent out the disciples. They come back. You know the story. They're excited. They're like, Jesus, we did some amazing things. You won't believe it. Like, we cast out demons in your name. We did all these amazing things. It's unbelievable. And what did Jesus say? I love how they popped their bubble, but also, like, encouraged them. He's like, no, don't rejoice in this. But rather, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He goes, don't rejoice in this. It's cool. It's cool. Things you could do, awesome. It's really cool. But rejoice that your names are in heaven. That's a bigger deal. That God says, no, no, I've called you out of darkness into light. I know you by name. I've written, you, I've written your name in this book. Rejoice in that. Rejoice that Jesus says, yeah, I see you, you're mine. Rejoice in that. What do you think heaven does? Just take joy. Like, they just rejoice. There's a sense where, like, you can't help but have joy. Jesus gave a few different parables in Luke 15 to explain this, but he talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin, and he basically uses these analogies to say, hey, but listen, when they find that, there's rejoicing. And he said in Luke 15, 10, he goes, I say to you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just like you see joy happening when you find that lost money. You lose some money, you find it, you're happy. There's joy. He goes, okay, whatever analogy I want to give you, but here's the point. There's more joy in heaven when one person repents and says, Jesus, I need you. There's more joy in heaven when someone says, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. Heaven's like, yes, they get it. There's joy in the presence of the angels. There's joy in heaven. I can't get away from this idea that just heaven is just filled with joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy in the presence of the angels. Joy in the presence of God. Joy when one person says, Jesus, I don't want to follow my path in my life anymore. I'm going to follow yours. Just joy. Joy in them, joy in heaven, just joy. Again, Jesus in Luke 15 would go on to tell the famous parable of the prodigal sons. An incredible, incredible parable. I encourage you to like, read that and read it differently a few different times. But here's the point I want to make is when you see the prodigal, the first prodigal, there's two prodigal sons, but when you see the first prodigal come back, what happens? The father's like, bring out the best stuff. Read it here in Luke 15. He says, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate, celebrate. Just heaven is that, it's celebrate. It's a couple different times. He goes, bring out the best, bring out the fatted calf. We've been, we've been getting this ready. We know you can repent. We have it ready to go. Bring out the ring, bring out the robe, bring out the best. We're going to celebrate. 
You're dead, but you're alive. You're lost, but you're found. Bring out the best. Just understand that is the heart of the Father. Like, do you understand that in this parable, Jesus trying to reveal just the heart of the Father, and he goes, no, no, our God is quick to celebrate repentance. You know, Spurgeon said, slow are the feet of repentance, but quick are the feet of forgiveness. Slow are the feet that repent, but quick are the feet that forgive in the Father. The Father is quick to forgive. He's quick to celebrate. He goes, yes, yes, you, you, you did it. You came back. Let's go. Let's celebrate. This is the heart of the Father. Do we see that? I want to say the heart of God is a God of joy, a God who celebrates when sinners come home. I'm a sinner. Our Father celebrates. He says, yes, come home. Our Father celebrates this. I just want us to see God in a different light. I want to see God for who he is, that in his presence there is fullness of joy, that when one person repents, God's like, yes, let's throw the party again. This is the kind of Father, this kind of God we have, this God of joy. I mean, you always see repentance and rejoicing kind of go hand in hand, by the way, that if you, there's going to be rejoicing, there must be repentance. We saw that in Nehemiah. We see that here. It's as soon as someone, I got to repent, there's just rejoicing. If you go, how do I get this joy? Repent. Repent. Peter in Acts 3.19 said, repent, and times of refreshing will come. Repent. You want to be refreshed? You want that joy? He goes, repent. Tim Keller, because I couldn't get away from saying his name once, said, rejoicing and repentance must go together. Repentance without rejoicing will lead to despair. Yeah. Rejoicing without repentance is shallow and will only provide passing inspiration instead of deep change. Indeed, it is when we rejoice over Jesus' sacrificial love for us, uh, for us, mostly fully that, paradoxically, we are most truly convicted of our sin. It's a mixture of I got to repent and I got to rejoice over who he is, what he's done. See, again, repentance, rejoicing just go hand in hand. So this is, goes back to what David says. David in Psalm 51, after basically committing murder, committing adultery. A year later, it hits him. Oh my gosh, what have I done? He writes this psalm of confession in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. But in Psalm 51, there's this phrase that stands out. He says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew your spirit within me. But he says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. God, restore to me this joy. Restore to me this joy of, of your salvation. It's yours. It's not mine. I used to always quote that wrong. The joy of your salvation. Do you understand? Listen, if you are looking for a deep, meaningful sense of joy, of just going, I found my purpose, my place. Here's why I'm here. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It comes from repentance. It comes from saying, Jesus, I, I've been doing this on my own for so long, I can't do this anymore. I repent. And again, David's salvation and his joy was restored. God heard his prayer and heard his cry. And how do you go, how do I get this joy back? Acts 19, repent, times are refreshing. How do I get this joy back? Pray, call out, God restore to me the joy of my salvation. Where'd it go? Maybe you feel like it's been years now. The joy of my salvation, where's that? Do what David did. God restore to me this joy. Where has it gone? I feel like I've been asking that question a lot the last couple of years. Just God, where is it? God, and, and just God is faithful. See, so God restore to me the joy of my salvation. He's so faithful. God wants to restore the joy of your salvation. Jesus cares about your joy. It's the, the servants who are given the different talents and things. Remember, basically, there's the servants who were faithful with what God had given and faith, the servants who weren't. But he basically says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into what? Enter into the joy of the Lord. Just in that phrase, the joy of the Lord. Like, this is heaven, the joy of the Lord. This is it. It's just the joy of the Lord. I can't get away from this phrase. God is a God of joy. This book is filled with joy. It's full of sorrow, heartbreak, pain, suffering, and joy. Welcome to Christianity. I don't know. It's filled with all of that. And a, a deep, meaningful joy that can only be centered on a person. Because joy is not a thing or a concept or an idea. It's a person. And it's found in Jesus. It's found in Yahweh Kedvah. God joy. It's found in him. He is joy. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion. And we're going to pray this prayer. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Hopefully you walked in, you got that. We do have some communion in the back, but here's what we're going to do. I want to point this out. Communion is not, please stay with me. It's not necessarily a heavy time. In some ways, yes, according to 1 Corinthians 11, there should be confession, there should be repentance, and we should take it incredibly serious, absolutely. But when Jesus is dealing with the disciples, he's celebrating Passover. He's celebrating a feast or a festival, a party. And he's breaking the bread. And he's pouring out the wine. And here's what I'm trying to get at. It says when he broke the bread, it says this, he gave thanks. So here's, say with me, Luke 22, 19. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Here's what I want to say. Communion is a time to give thanks. It's a time to give thanks. It's a time to rejoice. Why? Your sins are forgiven. Oh, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. Right? This is a time to give thanks.
I'm thankful for communion. It's a very weighty moment between you and the Lord and realizing that sin must be paid for by a sacrifice. It's serious, but you can give thanks to God. Thank you that it is finished. It is done. Thank you. I can take joy in your work and who you are. Thank you, Jesus, because the idea of communion is for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. The joy that was set before you, knowing that if you face the cross, you would be reconciling the world to yourself. Thank you that we were that joy, which makes absolutely no sense to me, but we were the joy that was set before him. If you, and you endure the cross. And the communion is just a time of joy. We reflect on the cross. We give thanks as Jesus did. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Oh, how happy is the person, is a man or woman whose sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, how happy is the soul whose sins are forgiven. We just rejoice in the finished work. Let me say this. If you do not yet believe in Jesus, you can call upon him right now. That's how simple it is. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Do that now. Take communion. If you do not believe in Jesus, don't, no need to take communion. Why celebrate or give thanks for something you don't believe in? No need. Let it pass over you. Go, that's totally fine. But right now you can say, Jesus, I believe on you. I take joy in you. I thank you that you are a God of joy. And I do want to take this and receive this in your name. Amen? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up. We're just going to give you guys some space and time to just reflect on God, to confess sin to celebrate, to give thanks, that that's what they do in heaven. They say, bring out the best robe and the fatted calf because my son who is dead is alive. My son who is lost is found. And we can just give thanks to God. There is joy in heaven when one person repents. We just want to join in with heaven right now and just thank him and praise him. Can we do that? Why don't you just bow your head? Take a second. Father, we just want to thank you just for your sacrifice, for communion. We thank you that you, you, Jesus, gave thanks. That, Lord, you, if you can give thanks, how much more us giving thanks for, for your sacrifice? God, we thank you that it is so true. Oh, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. God, we thank you that you are that. You are just the God of joy, that everything good and perfect comes from you. We just want to praise you now. God, we thank you for your body that was broken for us, and your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. God, we thank you that throughout the Bible, there's a storyline of sacrifice being made for sin, and that it is finished in you, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We just want to say thank you. We praise you. Jesus, meet us here as we just continue to pray, as we continue to worship. We ask that you'd meet us here in your name.